Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. Over the past few months, the government has updated the Nitrates Action Plan. This plan is in place to protect Ireland's rivers, lakes and groundwater from pollution and also to improve water quality. The plan was very specific around nitrates associated with animals, but also had some actions for tillage farmers. These new rules were introduced around the cultivation after harvest to encourage growth of green cover, but this created a lot of discussion amongst tillage farmers on how these rules could be practically implemented. Following these farmer discussions, there's been a lot of background work to relook at these cultivation rules, and the government published amendments last week to help clarify what is now required. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Ted Massey, who heads up the nitrates section in the Department of Agriculture. So Ted, you're very welcome to the podcast. Um, and look, Ted, there's been a few changes to the new nitrates action plan. But first, you might just clarify what is the nitrates action plan and what's it really setting out to do? Well, the nitrates action plan ultimately is about reducing nutrient losses to water arising from agricultural activity. So it's, it's a four year plan. Um, the current plan was finalized in March of this year, but at that stage, we were aware that we needed to look at the issue of shallow cultivation again, um, in particular to provide more space for, for nature, to avoid any potential negative impacts on farmland birds. So the, what's happened last week was a planned amendment to, to the regulations in that regard, and there will be further amendments as well as, as we go through that nitrate section program. And Ted, is the is it law or is it guidance or what, what way is it to be interpreted on the ground? Well, I suppose there, there are two elements within the Nitrates Action Programme. There are, there are non-GAP or good agricultural practice regulation measures. For example, the likes of the ASAP Programme, which farmers can, can engage in through, through Chagas and industry-funded advisors. And then there are the measures that are set down in regulation under the good agricultural practice for the protection of waters regulations. So when we're talking about shallow cultivation, we're talking about a measure that is set down in regulation and, and where it applies, it's, it's a mandatory legal requirement for farmers. Okay. And the measurement of that, obviously for a farmer themselves, uh, it'll be whether they cultivate or they don't cultivate if it's necessary. But in terms of the overall impact measurement, is that measured in the nitrates levels in water or the amount of pollution that's, you know, pollution incidences that are out there? Or how quickly does that need to be seen if, or, or whatever measures are there? How, how quickly do we, do we need to see that to make sure that what is in the plan is working, if you like? Yeah, I suppose, you know, obviously the aim is to try and improve water quality as quickly as possible. So as soon as possible in terms, in terms of seeing improvements. But, you know, the, the reality is, you know, people talk about the, the N plus one. So it's the year of the, of the action, be that increased or decreased fertilizer use or, or something like shallow cultivation. And then it's really in the following year that we see the impact. So I suppose in shallow cultivation, our aim is to try and reduce the leaching of nitrogen uh, from the soil. So we're talking about diffuse pollution. It's, it's not going to be something that, that we're going to see as, as a clear pollution issue the way you might see it if, say, silage effluent were to enter a river and create a fish kill. But, but ultimately, that nitrate in the soil post-harvest is, is being leached out of the soil through, through the autumn and winter rains. And then it's contributing to 
elevated levels of, of nitrates in the water, which are not good for biodiversity. Okay. But, but I suppose a tillage farmer out there might logically ask, well, hang on there anyway a second. Um, there's an awful lot more dairy cows and lots of other cattle and everything in, in, in the area uh, than, than was over the, over the past. And I'm doing the very best I can and I'm only putting enough nitrogen on that that'll grow my crops at the time. How do we actually know that the tillage farmers are part of the problem and there is you know, nitrates leaking from that tillage ground? Yeah, and look, I, I fully agree with the point. It's, it's no one sector that's responsible for, for agriculture's impact on water quality. It's all sectors within, within agriculture have to look to try and reduce the, their impact on water quality. So when it comes to our cereal crops, for example, once the, the crop starts to ripen and die back, the nitrogen starts to move from the plant back into the soil. And where we've that warm, dry soil, it will mineralize and it can be easily lost then if, if not taken up by a plant. So, you know, with something like shallow cultivation, our aim is to stimulate growth of a plant to take up that nitrogen, to try and hold that nitrogen, and, and ultimately over time contribute to an improvement in the soil um, rather than that, that nutrient being lost from the system. So, so Ted, there's a lot of changes, I suppose, over the last number of years in terms of it seems to be more dairy cows out there and I suppose tillage ground has, has been squeezed a little bit. How do we know that tillage farmers are actually part of this nitrates problem, the nitrates leaching out of the ground? Okay, yeah, it's, it's a fair question, Michael. And look, I suppose at the outset, it's acknowledged that there is no one sector within Irish agriculture responsible for, for the sole loss of nutrients. It's an issue that all sectors within Irish agriculture need to address. And, and certainly, you know, talking to tillage farmers, they'll often say, sure, it's not me. You know, we have relatively better nutrient use efficiency on tillage farms. But scientifically, if you look at the work that's been done through Chagask in the agriculture catchments program, and you look at the likes of the castle doctoral catchment in Wexford, where, where it's a predominantly tillage-based catchment, you know, the science has been able to identify the losses coming from tillage land and been able to measure them. So we know there are losses coming from tillage land, in particular, the, the lighter soils where we've issues with nitrate leaching. Okay, so if it's um, lighter ground, it's probably the, the more leaky kind of ground it kind of runs down through it relatively quickly after harvest. So come back then to the, the, the rules, Ted, in terms of the, the, the new cultivation that, that, that farmers have to put in place after harvest. You might just give us a, a, a very brief um, rundown of what they look like now and, and, and we'll come back and we'll circle back around to some of them in turn then. Yeah, so I suppose under the amendment to the regulation, there, there has been a greater targeting of, of the measure. So first of all, there's a list of counties where, where the measure applies. There are 14 counties in total. They're primarily in the east, southeast, you know, in, across the Cork and into the Midlands. And for farmers who are growing arable crops outside of those areas, there is now no obligation to do shallow cultivation. So that, that's the first thing. For farmers in the counties where there is an obligation to do shallow cultivation, uh, we're saying that within 10 days of the baling of straw post-harvest or 10 days of the chopping of straw, if it's chopped off the combine, shallow cultivation must take place. And in all circumstances, shallow cultivation or the sowing of a crop must take place within 14 days of, of harvest. Now, the, and to allow space for the birds, we're saying that 
a minimum of 20% and a maximum of 25% of cereal land on each holding um, shall not be subject to shallow cultivation post-harvest. So unless a crop is being sown, you know, and it's just straight shallow cultivation, the direction is that the farmer with cereal land is to leave at least a fifth or a, and up to a quarter of their area as over as stubble for, for the birds kind of thing to preserve that, that food source for farmland birds. Now we're, we're planning to do research on that. And I would expect, you know, in light of that research, that requirement will be, will be refined further over time. Okay. Then there, there are also some other exemptions as well. For example, the likes of an organic farmer is exempt um, where, where root crops or late harvested crops have been harvested and you know the regulation defines what, what constitutes late harvested crops or or where the likes of cereals or beans have been harvested after the middle of September. There is no obligation to do shallow cultivation. And again, it's to target the measure to make sure that it's effective where it is being applied. Okay. Yeah, that all sounds very sensible, I think. But, but just circling back to it a little bit, what exactly is it trying to achieve? I mean, what's the what's the what's the point of cultivating? What's the the aim there, what, 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 what's the, the if you were to, to look at it, say, maybe in the middle of September, what would you like to see in those fields that have been cultivated? I, I suppose essentially we'd like to see them, them greening up again. So the idea of, of the cultivation is, is just to lightly disturb the soil, to increase the soil seed contact, to promote germination of the seeds that are naturally present in the soil. So there's no obligation on the farmer to, to sow a seed, but at the same time, if they have the equipment that they can easily distribute seeds uh, when, the, when they're doing the shallow cultivation, it, it obviously can, can represent very good practice and give the farmer a better return on the measure itself. You know? So the idea is to stimulate plant growth rather than leaving the, the soil bare just with stubble on it, that those plants will then take up the nitrogen to stop that nitrogen leaching out of the soil as, as the heavy rains come. Okay, um, so I suppose any particular farmer would would describe the harvest, if you like, as they're not the harvest isn't finished until the harvest is finished, but the harvest could start in um, you know mid July, but it mightn't finish until, as you said earlier, there maybe middle of September. What defines the end of the harvest for the farmer? Is it based on the farmer being finished everything, or is it based on the farmer being finished a field? Going, going back to that it must be cultivated within 14 days of harvest. Yeah, so we're looking at it at, at field level. You know, for, for some farmers, obviously, the, the harvest is done in a day. For other farmers, it extends over a number of weeks. But, you know, it's look at it in practical terms. It's when, when the combine finishes work in the field, the, the harvest is complete at that stage. Then there is provision for, for the baling of straw. If, if the straw to be bailed. So that's where we're looking at 14 days from harvest where shallow cultivation does apply. Okay. So when we talk about spring crops, they, they can push on a little bit. I think you might've mentioned there that the, um, it's necessary to stubble cultivate within 14 days, but it, does that include all spring crops, even if they're early sown or late sown? Well, unless the crop is harvested after the 15th of September, or, or has been undersown. We're saying there's, there's a need to look at shallow cultivation in, in the areas where, where it applies. So, you know, for the farmer who say might harvest uh, spring barley in say the first week of September, um, 
if they're in one of the counties that are subject to the requirements and that land is going to remain, you know, land that won't be sown again until the spring, the obligation is that they would conduct shallow cultivation within 14 days of harvest on at least 75% of that cereal area. Okay. Okay. So there's a bit of calculation to be done as regards what may or may not need to be cultivated kind of late on in the season. And, and when we talk about terms um, there, it was mentioned that there's terms called shallow cultivation or soil consolidation. What is meant by either of those um, from, from the department's point of view when it comes around to inspection? So I suppose there, there's a difference between consolidation and cultivation. So they're both defined in the regulation. And where we're talking about shallow cultivation, uh, we're defining that as any soil disturbance increase in soil seed contact that will promote seed germination. Whereas when we talk about consolidation, we're talking about rolling of the soil to increase soil seed contact and promote seed germination. So this distinction was, was introduced in recognition of the fact that we have issues with certain grass weeds. So there's a defined list of, of grass weeds where, where if they're present in, in that list, we're looking at the brome species, we're looking at black grass, um, where it's beneficial to leave the seeds on the surface of the soil to try and break dormancy. So if a farmer considers that they have a problem with those grass weeds, they have the option to conduct soil consolidation as an alternative to shallow cultivation, providing that they get an approved advisor, an advisor that's part of the farm advisory or the FOSS system to give them a letter confirming that the lipus parcel parcels or, or the parts thereof um, contain these, these specific grass weed species and that the advisor is recommending that shallow cultivation would not take place. So then the farmer can go in, they can, they can roll the land and essentially in rolling the land in particular, if they can use a ring roller, you know, the idea is to just create a little bit of disturbance to try and improve that soil seed contact to stimulate those, those grass weed seeds to, to germinate. Okay, and is that, is that the only place where, where this soil consolidation or rolling can be employed? There's, there's one other provision as well, and that relates to oilseed rape. So following oilseed rape, you know, some farmers will talk about the need to leave, leave the, the weeds, or sorry, the oilseed rape seeds on top of the ground to try and break dormancy. So it's at the farmer's discretion. And look, I see fields this year already that, that have been shallow cultivated where, where oilseed rape has been harvested. So it's at the farmer's discretion to do soil consolidation or shallow cultivation uh, following oilseed rape. There's no need for a letter from an advisor in that scenario because obviously we know what crop was declared for, for BPS in the in the lipus parcel in question. Okay, so no, Ted, that's a that's a useful clarification in terms of shallow cultivation and and the soil consolidation. But coming back to some of the people who don't have to do any of this, there's a number of counties named that actually have to do it, but obviously then other counties don't have to do it. Why are those counties excluded? Well, essentially, in, in developing the list of counties where, where the measure applies, we looked at EPA data and 
we looked at the counties where their catchments where the EPA have identified the need for nitrates reducing measures as a priority to address water quality and where tillage is at a higher proportion of the overall land use. So, you know, fully appreciating the fact that in, in some of these counties, you know, there's, there's grass and obviously our, our agricultural landscape is dominated by, by grass and production. But at the same time, in all of the counties listed, you know, there are significant tillage areas and the EPA data is showing the need to reduce nitrates losses there as, as a priority for water quality. Okay. I'd say okay, guys in those counties are certainly going to be happy that they're not, I haven't got more, more bits and pieces to do. So look, I think that's probably certainly a good thing as well in itself. You, you mentioned at the very start, uh, Ted, around the fact that you want, didn't want this to have any um, negative impacts, I suppose, on, on, on the, the, the environment or space for nature, I suppose, maybe is how you, how you put it. So within the regulation, it's, it's set down or the, the amendments there, it's set down that um, some of the area must be left uncultivated between 20 and 25 percent. However, I suppose that when farmers are reading through this, a number of them have come back to us already and kind of said, well, there's a number of situations there where I'm not sure that's necessarily possible. Um, one such situation is um, where a grower is going to plant 100% of the land into winter crops. What happens in that situation? So it's a, it's a fair question, Michael. Um, where we talk about shallow cultivation in the regulation, we talk about shallow cultivation or the sowing of a crop within the period post-harvest. So if a farmer wishes to sow a crop, be it winter cereals or a catch crop, there's no issue there. They can continue that as normal practice because that, that crop itself is going to take up the nutrients. And I suppose we're hoping in, in setting aside the, the 20 to 25% of, of the cereal land that is not subject to shallow cultivation post-harvest, that there'll be enough area in, in the land that's left for spring cereals to, to leave space for the birds. Okay, in the, in the, in the landscape in a general sense. Okay. Yeah, you know, and like obviously the birds won't respect field boundaries. So it's, it's to look at things at a landscape level. You know, and in, in wording the legislation, we were very careful to, to try and ensure that normal farm practice can continue in terms of catch crops and, and the sowing of winter crops. So going back to a couple of other questions there, just around those lines in terms of leaving that leaving up a bit of space there for 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 feeding birds, where a grower um, is after chopping one hundred percent of their straw as part of the sim, they're required to do cultivation on all of that ground. What happens in that situation? Yeah, and I suppose it, again a valid question, and it's to look at the requirement when if the farmer is participating in the straw incorporation measure. The cultivation post harvest has to incorporate the straw into the soil. So I would say that is a heavier cultivation than the minimum that is required on, under shallow cultivation. You know, you're, you're going to go in to, to churn the soil more to, to bury the straw. And um, if there's an obligation to do that deeper cultivation uh, to meet the requirements of the straw incorporation measure, th that is no problem. And we recognize the fact that there are a small number of farmers who have all of their arable land entered into the strong corporation measure. For, for the majority of farmers, though, I would suggest there will still be space for them to leave that, that 20 to 25% uncultivated and meet their obligations under the strong corporation measure as well. Okay. And, and the final one then, uh, uh, well, there's two other ones actually, but the, the, the second last one is, is somebody who is not sowing a main crop, but sowing a forage crop on 100% of the land to be grazed, um, 
by animals and, and then return to spring cropping. What happens there? Yeah, again, there's, there's no issue with that. Um, you know, it, again, it's the sowing of a crop. So when any crop is being sown, um, it's fine. You know, so what we're talking about, where we're talking about land being left for space for the birds, it's just where it would just be shallow cultivation post-harvest with the natural regeneration from the seeds that, that are present in the soil. Okay. Well, look, Ted, I must admit, I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the most pragmatic um, culminations of rules I've heard for an awful long time uh, in terms of it's, we're looking at the bigger picture, of which we are after anyway, because as you rightly say, birds don't, don't um, are not restricted by LPAS numbers um, or, or boundaries necessarily. So I think that's extremely pragmatic. So uh, certainly well done on, on putting that particular one together. Can I just jump on just a little bit to the problem, problematic weeds as in the grass weeds that we, that we um, I think you mentioned earlier. Um, you mentioned that uh, in all situations where this is going to arise over her, there might be bromes or black grass involved in it, that there is an exemption there in terms of only doing uh, soil consolidation or rolling, if you like. How does a farmer um, do that? How does a farmer participate in that in that exemption or, or just to the soil consolidation? How, how does that work? Well, I suppose the first thing, and you know this better than anyone, Michael, when it comes to those problematical grass weeds, it's to identify the species that are present, because in some cases, the best practice is, is to try and bury the seed to stimulate germination and break dormancy, while in other practices, you know, it's to leave that seed on the surface to break dormancy. So if a farmer has concerns around grass weeds, I think the advice, first of all, has to be to approach an advisor that can advise and confirm what species are present. And then if there are if there are certain brome species where it's more appropriate to leave the seed on the surface of the ground, and we've listed out three species. The Latin names are, are listed in the legislation, but in terms of common names, we're talking about soft brome, uh, meadow brome, and dry brome. And then we're also given the Latin name for, for black grass as well. So if any of those four species are present, um, the, the FOSS approved advisor can give the farmer a letter confirming that those specific weeds were present in, in some or all of the parcel and that their advice is that soil consolidation should take place as an alternative to shallow cultivation. Once the farmer has that letter, um, if they are subject to an inspection, they, sh they should be able to produce that letter for, for the DAFM inspector. Okay, that doesn't have to be submitted to, to, to through the amendments process or anything? No, and like when, when our inspectors go out to, to do inspections on the ground, obviously as the year goes by, um, we hopefully see the establishment of the, of the green cover. So, you know, if the vegetation is there, there may be no questions raised. If there's less vegetation there and there's no evidence of the, of the ground being tilled, the question may be, well, well, what did you actually do? And and the farmer in that scenario may say, well, I did soil consolidation and and here's the letter from my advisor confirming that that was the correct approach in this scenario. Okay, and I think it's wor worth saying actually that um, the majority of people w w in those circumstances have sterile brome or great brome. And um, the other bromes are certainly very much in the minority from what we in Chagas have seen in terms of our um, 
surveys across the country and, and, and talking to a lot of farmers. So uh, for the sterile brome and great brome, cultivation as soon as ever you can is the way to go. So I said, I just throw that out as, 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 we're, as we're going by. We're after covering a huge amount of ground there, Ted. Um, I just wanted to, um, can we point farmers in the direction of where to find out more details if they actually want to get into the nitty gritty and read all the amendments and the NAP itself? Where, where would farmers find that? Yeah, I, I suppose what we're doing now at the moment, Michael, is we're preparing an FAQ for our website. Um, and, you know, we have met with the farm organizations on this issue, you know, and it's it's the practical questions that, that come up when, when you implement something like this. I suppose for us, developing policy and developing legislation, our, our aim is to try and, you know, predict all the possible scenarios, but th- there'll always be some. So if, if Chagask advisors have any other questions you know we'd be very happy to take them on board we'll develop the faq and we'll update it on our website and what we're, what we're doing is we're pulling together a list of farmers that have declared arable land in the counties where, where shallow cultivation is required and we're hoping to very shortly send those farmers an sms text message that will direct them to our website uh, for information around that faq and look, obviously, we'll be we'll be happy to engage with Chagas further as well. Okay, not to end on not to end on, on, on necessarily a sour note, but I suppose a couple of things kind of strike me. What if a farmer's really busy and the farmer decides, ah, do you know what? I'm just not going to do that. Uh, from the point of view of the ins- and if he's inspected and basically it's, it's discovered that the farmer didn't do anything much about it, what happens to that particular farmer? And then. The other kind of question kind of around that as well, well, what if the majority of farmers don't engage in this and there isn't any change in water quality or the measurements that are that are taken? What's the potential implications for the tillage industry if something doesn't change? Okay, well, I suppose the first question is the, the farmer who says, I'm, I'm busy and, and I'm maybe not going to do this. Like, the caution is, that that farmer is putting their their basic payment at risk if they're subject to inspection and and they haven't conducted shallow cultivation where it is required they they, they will be penalized so you know no farmer wants to, to suffer a penalty on their direct payment and i suppose i would say look if it can't be done within the 10 days post harvest get it done as soon as possible which obviously minimizes your your risk if you haven't already been inspected and then it's to, you know, it's to look at the overall bigger picture. So as you say, well, well what happens if, if there's no change in water quality? And, you know, the nitrous action program is, is a four-year program, but as part of it now, we have a two-year interim review. So at that stage, the, the effectiveness of the measures has to be considered, as well as possible changes in, in agricultural practice. And where necessary, we're obliged to relook at those measures and strengthen them where required to address water quality issues. So I suppose we're hoping that we will see an improvement in water quality as we go through the winter into next year arising from this measure. Um, But if we don't see that, it'll be be a question of, well, what else can we do? Do we need to refine the requirements that apply as part of this measure? Or do we need to look to something else? You know, and it's for every sector within Irish agriculture to to make their own contribution to improving water quality. Okay. Yep. So look, it's it's um, 
it's, I suppose it's measurable uh, at the end of the day and it will be measured and um, we need to, I suppose, collectively all kind of go in the right direction because I don't think there's a farmer out there, in my mind at least anyway, that ever intentionally sets out to to do any harm um, either in his own farm or, or, or further down the stream. So look, uh, I think most farmers, in my mind at least anyways, from talking to a lot of farmers, are more than happy to take up this uh, rule. And I think the... Um, some of the amendments that have been made have been, you know, very well thought through. And um, to me, I think it'll certainly help the adoption on the ground. If people see it as practical, I think I think they'll, they'll see it. Ted, really appreciate you joining me today. It's great to get those clarifications and to get a, um, a really good update on, on what's coming down the line. So thanks again, Ted. Well, thank you, Michael. I'm very happy to talk to you as always. Thank you. So that's it for this week. And my thanks to Ted for joining me on the podcast this week. Finally, don't forget if you enjoyed the podcast and recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, review and follow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. And I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.